You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm sitting down today with Marty Foster. So uh, let's go ahead and get started here. Marty, how are you this evening? Um, I'll take the fifth on that. You take the fifth? Everything is, yeah, I'll take the Fifth Amendment. Everything that's going on, both sides of the pond, is just making me feel generally quite unwell. Well, if I told you that it was being done like that on purpose to make you feel like that, would you believe me? No, not on the face of it, but... I'm more and more coming around to that way of thinking myself. Uh Uh-huh. If I told you that it was a big agenda to demoralize Western populations, would you believe it? No, no, because I do not hold with conspiracy theories. However, the more and more I observe, uh, and I'm joining the dots up myself. So, no, I still don't believe you because I, I still can't believe that that sort of thing is possible. But it's looking more and more likely all the time. I don't want to be a raving, loony, tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorist, but you're starting to make more and more sense. You know, if you if you look back through history, right, I'll tell you why I say this. I, I don't deal, you, I mean, you know I don't really deal in conspiracy theories. I mean, we dabble in tinfoil hat stuff and, you know, just try to be funny from time to time. But if you go back through history and you look at elites that get themselves into positions of power, they realize when they get to a certain position in power, they realize, no, it's too hard to fix things. We really don't want to do that. And then they just wreck everything, right? That's that's precisely what, what we're seeing here. Uh, it's that type of attitude. However, today, we're not going to talk about that. I thought today would be a good time to go back and revisit something that we did back in November. Back then, we did a podcast on situational awareness. And I think this is an extremely important topic. And I knew back then that we were going to revisit it. So, you know, that's that's kind of... It's kind of what I wanted to um, to touch on today. So I wanted to go back through this uh, and and kind of give a refresher because the, uh, as I went back and I, I listened to the one we did uh, back this morning, and I thought, okay, I made a decent point there. You made a decent point there. Bruce made a decent point there. But we didn't actually cover a lot of other things that we could have on top of that because of the interest of time. So we just didn't uh, didn't have a chance to do it. But I think now is a great time to get back into this, especially given what we're seeing, given the, uh, the the riots and the burning and the looting and all this stuff, right? I think now is a critical time for people to be situationally aware because of the same reasons that we did it back in November. No one's going to do this for you. No one's going to talk about any of this stuff. They're just going to tell you, well, stay in your house and and, and be scared, right? That, that's what they're going to get. So I think now is a great time to get into this uh, this topic. So we've kind of been tossing this idea around the last few days. And like I said, I, I've been going around and I've been kind of jotting things down here and there about points I'd like to cover. But the most important thing about all this, right, situational awareness, what is this? Okay, the most important thing is to define this. And it's essentially, it's paying attention to what's going on in your surroundings. It's the ability to kind of discern any danger or potential risk while you're just going about your day-to-day activities. If you can figure out how to enhance your situational awareness, then you can kind of keep yourself out of situations that can cause you or someone else you know some harm. So it's a significant part 
of training when it comes to like, say, military or law enforcement uh, or something of, the, of that nature. So it just so happens we've got uh, someone with a very long tenure of military training as well as self-defense training here with us today, who, by the way, oddly enough, when I was listening back to the other one this morning, you'd said that you had done uh, 400 hip throws or something, or you had to punch 400 times in like a karate class or something. And you just told me this morning that you had gone through about the same thing. So it's odd that we we picked that time and then uh, not knowing to do a situational awareness. And you were in pain back then from doing 400 throws. <laughs> and now you told me this morning that you just went and did something nearly the same again. Yeah. Yeah. We, we couldn't have called <clears throat> it better. If my um, if my recollection is correct, what I was talking about is we were getting to the point where I was being used to help somebody else learn. Yes. So I was being used as a tool and, well, a group of guys. And I had to throw the same punch 400 times in the morning. This morning, we just had our first open air, socially distanced karate session since, you know, COVID began. And it was it was good to be out in the fresh air. It was good to see some of the students again. And we were still able to do stuff that, you know, everyone was learning from, but at a socially distanced safe uh, or in a socially distant safe manner but again situational awareness right now it, you have to use it even when you're walking down the street we're not locked in our homes apart from the people that are told that they must shield which means they've they've had no contact with anyone outside of their own family for a period of about three months now because it's still not safe for people who are very vulnerable to go outside. But those that are going outside, they can choose to be ignorant or they can watch what's going on around them, analyze their environment and keep themselves safe. You know, watching for someone who's coughing and spluttering or looks feverish is one thing. But also as you're walking through a shop, down a street, making sure that you're staying well out of the way of somebody else. Not everybody is playing by the rules. Some people think they've got a God-given right to just walk down the pavement and walk towards you and invade your personal space. Treat everybody as if they're an idiot. Always be the one to move off and, and give both of you the space you need. By being um, aware of your, your environment and, and watching what's going on around you, and treating every other human being as a potential threat, um, you should learn how to keep yourself distanced from other people at this time. So that's a that's a clear case of of, the, of an application of situational awareness. It is, it is, and you bring up an interesting point there to be aware of your environment, right? It's, which is kind of where we wanted to start anyway. We wanted to start with surroundings, and I mean, it's it's very important. I mean, that's the first thing you need to do to, to help improve your situational awareness, right? You need to be observant of your entire environment that surrounds you. So your level of awareness, I think, you need to have is going to vary on your location. So it's going to change depending on where you are. Example: If you're in the city. Right. A city environment is going to be uh, a little bit different level of awareness and distractions than, say, like a rural one. So you're going to have more going on. You're going to have more senses and things that are being used. You're going to have more that you have to pay attention to. And so you have to know where you are. 
right? You have to learn how to observe these things. You have to make a detailed assessment of your environment. Okay, so that's that's precisely the key in all this. So when you do this, then you can actually better prepare yourself for any possible risk that you might have uh, if it does come up. And so I guess the most basic level of this would be where you begin to monitor, right? You, you start to uh, detect certain things and you can recognize multiple elements, right? Situational elements. So these things can kind of include uh, objects, certain events going on, which there's plenty of that going on right now, right? Uh, people, right? As you just brought up some certain people paying attention to, to people's attitudes and things like that, which we'll get into that here in a little bit and different environmental factors. So it requires you also to notice like locations, Okay, so certain certain points of interest, right? You got certain points of interest all over the place, uh, in in depending on where your environment is, say in like a city, the conditions and actions of all those elements that are working around you. So you kind of you kind of need to pay attention to all that. I know that sounds kind of overwhelming, but that's not really something to, to be too concerned about, right? But see, these are things you already use, I think, on a daily basis anyway. You just don't know how to hone them, right? So I think a lot of people just kind of. Uh, as you said, the ones that don't care, you know, there's a lot of the average Joe out there or whatever. Uh, the shufflers, I think that's the kind of the term we've deemed them as because of, of what we've talked about in the past. Good but, old shufflers. Yeah, good old shufflers. But I mean, this is kind of the first step, right? This is the first step. And, and it's designed to help you kind of expand and improve your perception of kind of what's happening around you. So if you do these things, if you are in the situation, say you go to a city for a day and you, you start to pay attention to these things because it, it might be a new experience, right? You may, maybe you just never thought along those lines before, but let's say you go into a city, right? Pay attention to the objects, pay attention to the locations, pay attention to the events, the people, the environment, right? The, the conditions, the actions, all that stuff, pay attention to all that stuff. And you'll actually be able to discern for yourself what's going to be a potential danger or a potential risk when you go th about your day-to-day -day activities through those particular things. Yeah. In an urban environment, in a city street, as you look around, you'll see different types of people. Notwithstanding the threat posed by traffic, because that's always a threat, you know, you should always be very, very careful when crossing the road. So putting that to one side, as you look down a city street, depends what time of day it is, uh, you're going to have different types of people there. Some you could judge as either people who you might need to go to the aid of or people who might come to your aid should something, you know, should someone attack you. So as you're walking along, I find myself naturally ticking off boxes. There's, there's someone who might need my help. I'll keep an eye and make sure that if they do need help, I'm able to get there to help them. And likewise, you look at people who, who you think if you were suddenly attacked, would they come to your aid? Everybody else that doesn't fit into those two categories, so the vulnerable and the ones that might help you, you need to treat. And it's a terrible thing. It's a terribly cynical thing to say, but you need to treat as a threat until you've passed through wherever they are. If you don't, that's how you wind up getting mugged. That's how you get blindsided. So as you're walking along, be that cynical person and you put people into boxes. Don't always get it right, but it's a good way of judging what your situation is. So if there are more threats around than possible helpers, 
you know you're in a bad situation. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, that story you were actually you were telling me on the uh, the last one we did about this the um, the situation. You had actually just come back from Brussels, and you were sitting across. I think you were you said you were sitting in a cafe across from the uh, the EU Commission. That's and right. Yeah, right in the heart of Brussels. With your uh, with your suitcase that you because you just gotten off the plane and I've just gotten off the um, the Euro Tunnel actually. Oh, but, you took yeah. the train. Oh, you took the train. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, either way, you were sitting there with a suitcase and you said that you could tell that there was some people working in conjuncture to try and snatch up the unsuspecting uh, people's possessions, correct? I saw someone walking towards me that I would put into the threat category. And so before they had a chance to even think about it, I moved the suitcase to where it was uh, a less appealing target. So... I might have been totally wrong, but it's just a tiny thing that you do to protect yourself and protect your property. You watch out for the threats. In the military, we call anything that gives you a clue to trouble is about to take place. We call them combat indicators. And in this particular case, the combat indicators were, and I'm sorry to say it, the person's ethnicity, the clothes that they were wearing, the fact that we were in the business center of, of Brussels. This person didn't look like they were working in any of the bars or restaurants uh, around the area. They looked like they were just passing through or there to commit crime. And that's the impression that they gave. It's judgmental, probably viewed as very racist. It is profiling, but it's it's what you do when you are being situationally aware and putting into perspective everything you see around you. Well, you were just guarding yourself against the potential risk, right? I mean, this is what we're talking about when it comes to surroundings. So you were putting yourself in the position where even though nothing may have happened, it was in your head that it might have happened, right? So that you're just simply guarding against yourself. It's an insurance policy, isn't it? I mean, that's what it is. That's why we have insurance. We have insurance in the hopes that we don't have to use it. But if we do have something happen, that's when we turn around and utilize the insurance policy. That's the well, point of it. True, true. Uh, some might call it paranoia, but that's what training does for you. It, it heightens your levels of awareness, makes you slightly paranoid, and therefore you will try to protect yourself from any type of attack, assault robbery, those kind of things. And and I have been genuinely, I've had knives pulled on me, I've had guns pulled on me, I've had people try to mug me all over the world. Because the trouble with port towns is that they have a rough side, they always do. And so therefore, there is an element there that will try to rob you. Uh, and having spent quite a long time in the Royal Navy traveling all over the world, I've been to a lot of those types of towns. You uh, you mentioned there about uh, about training, so it's one of those things that it just it sticks with you, right? You never stop learning. And one thing I've learned about uh, being trained, especially to monitor people's behaviors and, and things of that nature, is also surroundings and and other things we're going to get into. It doesn't play out the way that you were trained. It never does. It's you you know you always have to improvise because you can't predict a situation, right? Every situation is going to be different. Some might be similar, but no situation is ever going to be the same. Uh, and so. This right here, I want to get into. Um, I want to get into something about being strategic, and this is kind of. I mean, this is this is really important uh, when you think about it in the grand scheme of things. With this fields of view, the most important thing 
for people to understand when you're looking in your surroundings is to understand your fields of view. I personally, and this is where we kind of butt heads on it the last time, which at the same time, I mean, I can't disagree with you. I look at things like a clock, right? I look at 12, 3, 6, and 9. Those are my four points. But you always say you want to take the oblique <laughs> the oblique point because <laughs> that's the one that's going to throw people off. And I can't, I can't disagree yeah. with that because everyone's looking for you to go to those, th- those four points. But to go to the other one, right, to go to that one that's uh, that's at your at your 10, your 25, your, you know, that, that to go to those points, no one's going to expect that. So the thing about being strategic is you need to be strategic about how you place yourself, right? Your stuff, right? Your, like your suitcase, right? Your vehicle when you're out in public, where you park, things like that. Like instead of pulling into a parking space, you back into it, right? Or you pull through it. That way, I mean, I do that all the time. I back into places if I can. If I can, I back into places where I pull straight through. That way, I don't have to worry about backing up when I get back out there, right? I can just hop in and go. So, I mean, it's, it's a faster thing. I mean, I, and of course, I'm always that guy that tries to park out at the end of the lot if I can. But this even yeah, includes... That, that, uh, go ahead. No, that, that fits in entirely. Like, as you were saying, I was about to say, when you were talking about your, your, your 12, your 3, your 6, and your 9, if you, are, if you are stationary, then you should be able to cover your 6... With a wall, with, with or, or with something that means that no, nothing can approach you from your six and the numbers in between, all the way up to nine through to three the other side. So you've got a one eighty degree field of arc that you need to be watching. But if you're moving, then you still need to to make sure your six is is regularly. So with the car, with the vehicle, if you can reverse into a a, a bay or drive through so you're ready to drive straight back out again that is effectively covering your six because all you need to do is get straight in the car and drive you don't need to worry about what's behind you so Mm -hmm. yeah that that totally fits totally makes sense but if you're stationary you should be put put yourself into a position where you can limit the expected direction of threat down to at most 180 degrees uh, at best 45 degrees between 12 and 3 if you can cover those other areas depends on depends on where you are what building you're in and who who you've got with you so um yeah that's all getting all a bit technical isn't it really sorry not really no no i not not really because if you think about it then you i mean this also plays into it too because you say if you're stationary okay well you can apply that to places that you would enter, right? You go into businesses, you go into establishments, whatever it might be. I mean, I know that sometimes you don't have the luxury, say you go into a restaurant, you don't always have the luxury of being able to choose where you sit. The hostess or host will seat you somewhere and then you just kind of have to deal with it. But if you have the opportunity to pick your own seat, then pick a seat where the wall is to the back of you or something solids to the back of you, and then you can face the doorway, right? You can see everything. You can get a good read of everything that's going on in the establishment. Same thing if you have if you have children. You place your kids in the shopping cart, or you have them, or, you know, I guess you can hold their hand or something. But you always place children inside, right, of something. So, you know, away from cars. You, you always have a situation where you're watching that particular one side of something. So you don't have to look in a situation where you're having to constantly look around and around and around in a circle because that's just going to throw you off. So I think it plays. I, I think it plays what you said because you're in those situations where you are stationary sometimes. So you have to look at those things. <laughs> this this goes back a long time to the times when where the wearing of swords wasn't just a fashion item. Everyone wore swords for a reason. And if you had a lady walking with you, 
and this is going to sound terribly sexist, but back in the, you know, the 13th, 14th century, not many ladies carried swords. So this is the time I'm talking about, a very sexist time in our history. You keep the lady on your left because your sword is on your left hip. And if you wanted to draw to protect her, you could, your, your right arm was free to do so. And it's the same with kids. You keep kids within your protective bubble. If they're not small enough to put in the shopping cart or to be in a pushchair or buggy or pram, then wherever they're walking, you make sure that you're between traffic and them. And as you are you know, mo- moving along, you make sure that you're between them and any potential threat from human beings. So, yeah, that all makes perfect sense to me, too. So also in in the issues, or excuse me, as it relates to being strategic, right? It, we talked about city environments, right? We, we talked yeah. about that and the need to be strategic. Well, this is where you start to get a little bit more technical when you get into the cities. This is what I do when I'm in a city, right? And I'm sure that I'm sure you do the same thing. I always look at the signs, right? If I'm unfamiliar with the city, these are the things I'll do. I'll look at the signs. I'll look at the graffiti, right? Everybody knows there's graffiti. There's graffiti going on now because of all this stuff that's going on. And there's other things that might be on certain buildings. I look where cameras are, if there's public cameras up. I look at what signs say, you know, I wonder what the graffiti uh, is that's sprayed on someone. I, I wonder what that means. I look if there's strange signs all over the place, like something that's on the side of a building that just doesn't quite fit. You know, I'll look for something like that. Was a building recently painted? I mean, I, these are just things that I look at. So these kind of yeah. little details, this will help you kind of with your overall observation skills. This will help you kind of fine tune that stuff. And over time, you'll notice little details and changes that are just instinctively, right? You won't even have to think about it. It'll just be there. So when you do these little things like I'm talking about here, then this will actually just train you to to practice your observational skills all the time. At some point, you'll get to a, a stage where you'll just do this stuff and you won't even think about it. You won't even think about it. So very important when it comes to little things like that about being strategic. I noticed recently on, on three different European trips, obviously all well before we got locked down. One was uh, to Rome and Florence, the other to Barcelona and another to Brussels. And looking at the graffiti, it's all gang related. It, you see the same sequence of graffiti being repeated and repeated, particularly down railway lines and approaching railway stations. And I'm not an expert on graffiti, but you can, to be doubly prepared, you can look up there's websites that will tell you about the gang activities in certain cities and which regions of the city or which areas of the city are controlled by what gang. And I think if you're going to be there for a long time and, and you, you might go off the beaten track, maybe you're there for work, you, you, you know, if you're going to be there for any length of time, it's probably worth doing a little bit of research on the gangs present in the city you're visiting and perhaps the, the gang signs, including their, their graffiti. But just recently with the, the Black Lives Matter protests, which have, they're happening here in London as well, I've seen people graffiti or, you know, defacing our national monuments, war memorials, statues to, to our, our great leaders of the past. And when I see graffiti, it just upsets me. What, regardless, um, it's mm-hmm. just such an ugly, ugly thing. You know, you've got people like Banksy, this this famous but mysterious unknown artist. He's a great artist, but he's a graffiti artist. If all graffiti were things of beauty like he produces, even though some of the things he produces have got very strong messages, you know, I really wouldn't mind. 
see, you know, seeing basically uh, boring bare walls turned into works of art. But this rubbish that these gangs spray up just to, it's, it's like a cat pissing on your furniture to mark its territory. The cat doesn't realize that it could be kicked out of the house any time, but it still keeps spraying its scent everywhere. And that's what this graffiti is. So it is a, it's a combat indicator. The more graffiti you see, the more chances are that after dark, that part of the city is ruled by something other than law and order. I think we can agree on the uh, the graffiti aspect. I think it's uh, I think it's very distasteful, and I think that it's uh, it's abhorrent that it, uh, that it goes on. That's defacing property, and I mean that's a crime. That's all there is to it. So, yeah, and I in, think part of the punishment. Uh-huh. I think part of the I think part of the punishment, if they're caught, should be to the to to remove it. So. I mean, that's just uh, just my take on it. Yeah, we, without a doubt. I mean, one of the, the statues that was um, vandalized and, and had graffiti painted on it was a memorial to the Household Cavalry. And then when members of the Household Cavalry, young members, were sent to clean it off, they were abused and had things thrown at them. And and I remember saying uh, on, on a Facebook post, one of the military banter groups that I, I I follow. It's a pity because the, the household cavalry, you might not be able to use this, but I'll say it anyway. You can, you can cut and explain later. The household cavalry before parades have to manually uh, evacuate the horse's colon because they don't want the horses, of which there are many, messing up the road between Buckingham Palace and Horse Guards Parade. So I it's a shame they that. can't. I yeah, wondered how they did that. <laughs> yeah, no, the, these these guys and girls have to put on a rubber glove that goes from hand to shoulder and give the horse a hand. And it's a shame they can't put those those rubber gloves uh, to use on the Antifa graffiti artists because they clearly seem quite full of crap too. Just yeah, to say I, that. I I can't say no. We're going to have to keep that one because that's a, that's a very valid <laughs> point right there. So um, anyway. let's get into uh, let's get into escape routes, right? This is uh, this is very important. Also, well, you know something. I keep saying it's important. This is all important. So escape routes. One thing that I can say is I'm always doing this, right? I'm always clocking exits, right? That that's just me. I don't care if I've been to one or a place one time or a hundred times. That's just me. I mentioned something about parking out at the end of the lot, parking in, you know, backing into a into a parking space. You know those those kinds of things. This also goes along with it. Have an escape plan, no matter where you're at. Right. You always want to have an alternate route. So have your main route of escape and then always plan out something in the other side. You do this so you can avoid or you can escape any imminent uh, threats that might happen to just show up on you. Example, if you enter a restaurant or you go into, say, like a movie theater or whatever. Right. Take note of the emergency exits. I mean, I'm always doing that. I'm always like because they're always lit up. I'm always like, yep, okay, over there, over there, over there. You know, and how long is it going to take for me to get to each one? That's another thing I'm asking myself. What's in my way? What am I going to have to go over? Who am I going to have to go over in order to get there if I have to? Example, if there's a fire, knowing where your exits are at, right? I mean, these these are things that can save you valuable seconds. And I can tell you, and Marty, you can tell people too, some things, some things happen at the drop of a hat. It's that fast. Something happens, you have to make a decision, right? So you always want to monitor your escape routes. Always want to look at your exits, right? Like I said, doesn't matter if you've gone in there one time or a hundred times, doesn't matter. What if you go in there one time and you think, okay, I know it's going to take me 10 seconds to get from point A to point B to that exit, but what if there's a table in front of that exit 
or if there are people that are congregating near that exit or you know something that might be in your way between where you are and there that wasn't there the last time. So always be paying attention to that. Same thing. Park away from things in the in the parking lots. Park away from things. You go into a business. How many people work there? What are they wearing? Sit with your back to a wall. Th- these types of things. I always look at these when in, when I look at escape routes and, and easy exits and things like that. That's that's just me, right? You can call that paranoia. You can call it whatever you want. But I look at that as just being situationally aware for anything that might happen. Yeah, being situationally aware for that is what we are talking about. And methods of egress. If something goes down, as you say, things can happen very, very rapidly. That uh, clear line of sight that you had to the exit might suddenly be blocked by other diners or or theatre goers getting up and rushing to the exit. So you've also got to be aware that a lot of the time we've got people who we need to look after, you know, family, loved ones, that much loved maiden aunt that you've taken to the theatre. You've also got to consider how long it's going to take you and them to get where you are to the exit. But there's there's other methods of of uh, of affecting. Well, it's like taking an exit. But for instance, if things start to go down and you're quick enough to call nine one one nine 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 and get help on the way, or call in the help of those people I was talking about earlier on, those people that as you look around you think. They could be a possible ally in any situation. Call them in to help to stop the situation from from actually happening or to help you deal with the situation if it is going down. So there's a number of things to consider. One is who you're going to call, Ghostbusters, obviously, whether it's the police or call for help within the, the building, you know, the staff within the building that you're in or people in the street who might come to your aid. But if you are going to call the police, make sure your phone is charged. You know, there's there's nothing worse. No, you know, uh, landlines these days, no one's got time to rush to a call box and call the bobbies. Everyone's straight on their phones. But if your phone's gone out of charge, then you've got a problem. So you always need to make sure you've got a way of keeping charge on your phone. If you're polite and respectful to the staff in a restaurant or, or the theatre or whatever, and something starts to happen, you should be able to call on them and they will probably want to come and help. But if it's a, an armed situation where someone is coming in with a gun or a knife, you need to be able to get out as fast as possible. So you you, you need to um, extend the perimeter that you're surveilling and that you're monitoring all the time to give you enough time to get yourself and any person that you are responsible for out of the situation. So. Yeah, that does take quite a bit of effort, of mental effort to keep that level of awareness. You know, you mentioned something there about people being on their phones. I mean, you go out in public now, that's what it is, right? Everybody's got their faces shoved in these phones and it it's, it distracts <clears throat> people. It really distracts people. And but I, mean, I it's can't also, you- sorry, mate, I just, it, it occurred to me because I meant to say this earlier on. It's also a combat indicator. If you're walking down the street, then all of a sudden you see one or two people turn around and start holding their phones out, something's about to go down. They want to make the next, you know, viral YouTube street fight knockout movie. Someone is going to kick off. Someone is always ready with that phone. And it might not be the good guys. It could be the bad guys wanting to record something bad happening. Um, Fair point. Earlier today, Big March, you know, protesting the, the murder of George Floyd. Yesterday, uh, national monuments and, and war memorials were defaced 
today, members from the far right and football uh, fans were positioned, they positioned themselves around these monuments on the route. And you can see it being videoed by these people that are protecting the monuments. But as the protesters are walking past, they're videoing these protectors whilst their friends are verbally abusing and shouting and screaming at the people who are protecting the monuments. That The very fact that someone's recording the situation is a big indicator that something might be just about to go down. So, you know, that's something else to be aware of. If you see someone recording, why are they recording? What is about to happen? Very good point. That's a very good point. And that's it, not all that different from the point I was going to make was, as you're saying, that could be a combat indicator. Yes. But my point to that was going to be is for the person that we're trying to explain the situational awareness to, for someone to become more aware, limit your distractions. Be the person that stays off your phone. Don't be that person that you were just talking about that has their phone out, ready to record something that's going to, you know, give them, uh, who knows, a half a million views on YouTube or something, right? Yeah, Don't be that you, person. Yeah, if you're walking along in a video call with someone, you're not paying attention to what's going on around you. So, you know, being on your phone, uh, is a wonderful thing if you've got your back to the wall and you've got somebody else there watching the situation while you do whatever you need to do on your phone. We all spend far too much time on our phones. We have got an unhealthy reliance now on phones. I can still remember when we didn't have mobile phones and I, I wish we could get those days back, but they are long gone. So Johnny's point, your point, Johnny, is absolutely right. Don't let it be a distraction. You know, it's banned. People, uh, what's, it, what's the rule in the States now? Because here in the UK, you can't drive whilst operating a mobile phone. It's illegal. You can get fined and have your license taken away in some cases. Well, it's but what? it depends it depends on the state. It's not a federal issue in the United States. It's a, it's a state-by-state issue. And as I'm not yeah. in the US right now, I can tell you where I am. You can't even you can't even look at the thing, right? It, let alone no. touch it. You can't even look at it. Everything no. has to be done via Bluetooth and all that stuff. And the other thing yeah. that that I wanted to touch on with that, which you know, you bring up a valid point on that, by everyone being distracted, you also see people walking around with headphones on, earbuds, whatever they are. Yeah, people listening to music or listening to our podcast. <laughs> but the thing is, is when when it comes to limiting distractions, you don't want to completely block everything out. That's the whole point. You're out there. You're trying to be situationally aware. If you have your headphones in and you're blocked out, well, then that's going to be something that takes away from your senses of awareness. So if you're going to listen to music, do something simple like put one earbud in instead of two. Keep the volume on low. You don't like I said, you don't want to block off your hearing. Now, I know that you can't eliminate distractions, but you can do your best to try to try to limit them. But yes, you're, you're correct. Th like the texting and yeah. driving and the talking and the video call while walking, all that stuff. Yes, you, you can't do any of that stuff. But but I mean, here's something I've noticed since the COVID-19 lockdown and the restrictions, there have been obviously less people on the roads. Right before all of this started, people really had started to pay attention and you would very rarely see anybody using their phone whilst driving. But in the last few days, while I've been out and about walking, I have seen a good dozen people driving whilst using their phones and and they're not speaking on the phones next to their you know next to their ear they are texting while they're driving and i bet 
the ones that I've seen were all delivery drivers because everyone's buying stuff online far more than we were before. Not that we weren't doing it to excess to begin with. And one of the essential, you know, jobs has been delivery driver. So Amazon, all the other places where you can order stuff from have all had these delivery drivers out and about, and they're all looking for addresses in the next job, and they're using their phones in their hands while they're doing it. So, you know, we've taken a bit of a step back. There is less people on the roads, but they've become a little bit more dangerous because these guys are using their phones whilst driving around. Really is far too much of a Indeed, indeed. Um, I don't okay, know if so that was appropriate to the conversation at all, but I thought I'd mention it because it's no, no, it's fun. Yeah, it's, no, it's, that's what that's what people are doing, and you know, a lot of people gotten out of the habits and stuff like that that they've used to, you know, been used to doing. I mean, that's how short of attention spans we actually have now. It's pretty sad to be fair, but. Let's talk about being mindful. You want to try and practice being in, it's going to sound crazy, but you kind of want to practice being in the moment when you're out in public and you're trying to to practice all these things we're going over. In order to do all this, you want to notice things that you kind of didn't really even think about before. Maybe you did, but you just didn't really put this much thought into it. You want to notice things like the sights, what the air quality is like, right? The smell, the sounds, everything in between all this stuff. You want to be mindful of this stuff. See, now when you're truly mindful of all your surroundings, all of your senses are going constantly. You hear everything, you notice small changes, you're fully engaged with everything that's going on around you. When you do that, you're able to react a lot quicker if anything were to happen. You take that and it leads into focusing. So if you're mindful of all these things, if you go on to try and focus during all this, this is the most critical part about all situational awareness is being able to focus because when something happens or you know, you're know you in the process of trying to juggle all these things at once to try and make sense of everything, then What's going to happen? You want to try and avoid going into something of uh, that's called an information overload. Your brain is taking in more information rapidly. So as things start to escalate up, your adrenaline's naturally going to kick up as a parallel to that. So what's this going to do? This is going to cause your body to develop more stress. And now as your body develops more stress, your brain processes information more slowly. So then you hesitate, you freeze, or you make mistakes. So this is a skill that's going to take a lot of time to develop. This is not something that happens overnight. This is not something that happens in a week or a month. This takes time. And now somebody being able to uh, be trained like that, even that takes time. Marty will tell you that. That takes time. I've been through that kind of training. It takes time. It takes a lot of time to be able to juggle adrenaline, process information, and focus to make the right decision all at the drop of a hat, in the heat of the moment, at the snap of a finger. That's how quick it can happen. And so being able to do all that constantly, that is a skill that is difficult to teach. And it's just one of those things where everybody interprets things differently. So you're going to have to juggle those things as they come to you and try and hone that sense about yourself certainly when we uh train within military contexts we quite often try to put the trainee under stress so that all of those things that you just mentioned are happening to them and it, it it's a good test of how they perform because most of the time when they are required to do the job that they are training for they are going to be under a great deal of stress fear of being killed fatigue all those kind of things um, but within leadership terms, there's, there's many ways of, be, of putting someone under stress before you get them to perform leadership tasks under training. Uh, and believe it or not, unofficially, or maybe officially, I can neither confirm or deny, 
Royal Navy leadership courses, the way in which they put people under stress was to make sure they had been partying really hard the night before carrying out a practical leadership task. So that the hangover is something that's holding them back. The nausea uh, is preventing them from thinking straight, but they still have to carry the task out. You can practice, you know, performing under pressure yourself as a civilian just to make you better at things. We've got a saying in the military, train hard, fight easy. So if you train yourself to consider all the things you need to consider and uh, and play games like Kim's game, for instance, uh, which we talked about before, and you probably were going to talk about again. Kim's game is the game where you have a, a tray of items that are covered by a cloth. You take the cloth off off the tray, you observe the items for a given time period, maybe 60 seconds, tray gets covered and one item may be removed, two items may be removed or things moved around. And when it's uncovered again and and you look at it for another 30 seconds, you are supposed to be able to tell the person who's conducting the test what's missing or what's changed. So that's Kim's game and it's a very good way of, of uh, practicing situational awareness, looking around you and seeing what's changed in your situation. So, if you are fatigued or have just finished a workout and are you know breathing heavy, under stress by some other means, and you play Kim's game, it's a very good way of training yourself to be aware of your surroundings under stress conditions. I practice that on Friday nights. I mean, that's just me. That, that's what I do. <laughs> um, I actually believe that. I believe uh, You believe that? Do. Yeah, you should. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You've learned not to doubt me in the past. <laughs> I, I, I don't doubt you, Johnny. No, um, not ever. Yeah. You know what? You made an interesting point of, of something the last time. So I want to get into uh, nonverbal communication. Nonverbal cues, that can tell us a lot about somebody, right? That can tell us a lot about how someone's feeling. And so while some people kind of, some people are easy at hiding things, I guess. But see, most people usually have some kind of a... Um, uh, a way about themselves. Like you can tell when they're lying about something. You can tell if they're nervous. You can tell if they're happy, they're sad, they're angry, you know, this, these kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. In, yep. in, in poker terms, it's called a tell, isn't it? Right. That's right. Exactly yeah, well, yeah, tell. I think one of the main ones for me is it's got to the point where you're having uh, a heated discussion, shall we say, with someone in the street, in the bar, wherever, and they're staring you right in the eye. They're right in your face. All the time they're doing that, they're pretty much just mouthing off. It's the moment they look away. That's usually the split second before they try to sucker punch you. So to me, that's a tell. The moment they look away, they're going to come back and turn and hit you. So that's normally the point when I'll apply a nice full controlling arm, wrist or shoulder lock on the individual and therefore not get hurt, not get hit, not get my glasses broken, which I hate when that happens. So being able to pick up on these tells, these little bits of body language um, is very useful and can save you a lot of pain and optician's bills. You're absolutely right. Now, although I've never had my glasses broken, (laughs) but I wear contact (laughs) lenses most of the time. But no, you're right. When you are talking to somebody, you want to notice the nonverbal communication that they're giving off, right? That's what you want to see. What they're saying, along with what they're talking about, 
are their nonverbal cues? Are they matching up? What are their nonverbal cues saying to you? You want to be aware that some people, some people's nonverbal cues will be completely different than others, right? Nobody's the same when it comes to that. I've noticed a lot of that in my life, and I'm sure you have too. Have you noticed that when the adrenaline's throwing, your vocal cords tighten? And people that are you know, yes. having a massive adrenaline dump squeak when they talk. Their voice goes high-pitched. They almost lose the power of speech if they're that incensed. So if someone's getting like that in your face and they're they're screeching at you, back off. You know, either take them out immediately (laughs) or back off (laughs) because they are going to go for you as soon as that adrenaline starts to go. I used to find in situations where I was a little bit scared that my knees would wobble. That idea of your knees shaking actually happens. And it is fear, but it's the adrenaline coursing through your body that causes your knees to wobble, your hands to shake, your lip to quiver, all of those things. So when someone's winding themselves up, ready to attack, and the adrenaline is pumping, there's all those things you can watch for. Shakiness, the voice, it's like flashing lights. It's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And one of the points you made on the last situational awareness podcast we did was that 70% of communications are nonverbal. And that's a that's a very interesting point to make. Uh, and it's a fact, right, as, as you put it. So it's all about reading that nonverbal communication. So it's it's extremely important. Uh, keep an eye on, the, on nonverbal communication, because if it's that high of a percentage, that's something you definitely want to pay attention to. Yeah. So. I mean, if someone is, is touching you, pointing a finger, and the finger's actually hitting your chest, that's that's a big danger sign. If someone stood back, uh, you might still be having a, a, a quite a heated discussion, but if they stood back, arms folded, they're defensive. Um, they're, they're ready to, to discuss things with you. They're not happy, but they're, they're defensive. These are just armchair, basic um, body language things, but someone's whole demeanor, if it's, it's difficult to tell, but you know when you see it, when somebody is on the edge. And that's what you, you're trying to avoid. You don't want to be dealing with people who are on the edge, ready to go to violence. If you can, and you can de-escalate and step things back by removing yourself from their personal space and, and backing off, this is another area where an exit, at just having some room to back off into can resolve the whole situation. By simply backing away, in their mind, oh, that's fine. They're no longer a threat to me. I can, t- you know, I can wind it down a bit. I can, I can turn the dial down back to five because I was, I've just gone up to nine. You know, not quite ten, but now I'm, I'm winding it back to five. So, reading someone's demeanour, reading, reading their body language, can allow you to back off when necessary and hopefully de-escalate a situation. The, the point you made there about paying attention to people's actions, I mean, that's a that's a great thing to kind of transition into people watching. That's one of the best ways to understand people is just to watch people. Now, not in like this, you know, creepy kind of way. Not, that's not what I'm talking about. But if you spend a few minutes each day, right, to kind of just observe the people around you, look at how they walk. What are they wearing? How are they expressing themselves through nonverbal movement, taking into account the nonverbal communication and so on and all that stuff. Watching people and watch how they react to certain situations, you'll discover a lot about people and probably about yourself as well, just by watching. That's that's just how it is. So what comes along with this is also kind of what Marty just touched on, reading body language. Knowing how to read body language, it's very significant when you're trying to assess a situation. So it's a language that all of us can speak, 
and one which is hard to lie in, right? When we talked about nonverbal communications, when someone's lying about something, they're nervous, they're happy, they're sad, they're angry, you know, all that stuff. The way that they're talking, the tone in their voice, this is all body language. It's nonverbal linguistics that can reveal someone's true intentions most of the time whenever we're interacting with them. I mean, that's just how it is. Now, you might not catch, in my experience, you might not catch a criminal through their words, right? This is this is true. You might not catch a criminal through their words. But if you can recognize these behavioral cues and just in reading body language, then the, you can use the situation that, that you're observing and that can actually be turned into an advantage that might get you out of a potential situation later on down the line. I'm, I'm very judgmental and, and quite rude about people to myself in my own head. I, I'm amazed that that we are actually one species. If you look around and look at all the different people, and I, I love people watching. I'm not perfect, but I, I do have a good laugh at other people's expense in my head uh, and with certain trusted friends. But that, that's cruel. It's not uh-huh. kind, but... But we people watch all the time. Just the other day, a guy walked straight up to myself and two other people I was with. We were perfectly legitimately social distanced on the seafront and we were enjoying fish and chips. And this guy immediately went into a story about what he was offered at a holiday uh, in a hotel whilst on holiday. And he found it amazing and rather ridiculous that someone would serve beef lasagna and minted boiled potatoes. Now, just how mad does this sound? I mean, by now, our listener is going, what the hell is Marty on about? But this, this was a guy who was poorly dressed, overweight, disheveled, had a can of Carlsberg in one hand and a carrier bag, probably containing the rest of the six pack in the other. Uh, he was clearly a drunk and he was clearly just wanting to speak to people. And my friend said, you did really well there. You weren't rude to him because I just engaged him in a little bit of conversation. I sort of nodded and acknowledged that he'd spoken. And I said, well, it's only because you're there you're, or you are here that he wasn't told to get lost in no, no uncertain terms. Because I knew that under the circumstances of social distancing, if I had have told him to go away and he'd have got aggressive, I couldn't protect them from him getting any closer you know, th- than the two meters. So I had to change what I did. I could tell that the guy was just a, a, a harmless drunk, but I still didn't want him near us. But I couldn't uh, aggressively get rid of him because... Uh, that would involve breaking the social distancing rules. So I was just nice nice enough to give the wink to the people I was with that we need to move on now, and we did. And we left him there. He was still talking at us as we walked off. So it's not a serious life-threatening situation, but it's reading body language, reading the situation, and acting accordingly. I'll let you say something for a moment, but then I've got a point I want to make about what's going on in the States at the moment and how people perhaps need to get clued up a bit on situational awareness. After you, sir. Well, uh, you can if you think it would be more prevalent for you to do it now because I was going to jump to the next, uh, or do you want to make that part of your point? Well, uh, as we've talked about before, everything that's going on inside the cities where the gun laws are more restrictive, we still have seen business owners and property owners defending their properties with firearms, shotguns, pistols. It's happened already. That is going to get worse if any of these protests go into, you know, the more rural areas 
where those those restrictions on ARs and the amount of ammunition that a particular weapon can have in its magazine or charger, you're going to see a lot more gun use if they are stupid enough to do those kinds of riots and looting in the rural areas. Mm-hmm. I just want the people who are there protecting their homes and businesses to be as safe as possible for their own safety. I couldn't give a hoot about the looters, quite frankly. Not many of us do. But legally, I, in my experience, the law comes down heavily on the person who won the argument, not necessarily the person who instigated, started, and provoked the argument. So regardless of whether they exercise their Second Amendment rights, there's a strong possibility that if anyone is killed, if looters are killed, the homeowners, the business owners will still find themselves going through the legal system. And how that all turns out, I, I don't know. But if they are aware of their situation, if they're keeping abreast of what's happening, local news, general scuttlebutt up and down the street, are we expecting anything? And if they make themselves as hard a target, their businesses and their property, as hard a target as possible, it should deter, you know, the liberal lefty Antifa snowflake rioter and looter. Yeah, exactly. However, meth heads, maybe not so much. You you can't um, apply normal behaviours to someone who's got that kind of addiction. So you do I have to be doubling on your guard. I wouldn't call this normal behaviour, to be fair. So No, but I'm talking about responding to what is clearly someone ready to defend themselves on their porch or in their shop front as they appear to just one of these bandwagon jumping virtue signaling hats that have decided to join a protest and turn it into a riot. They behave in a certain way, but someone with a strong addiction who's along for the ride and trying to grab goods out of a shop window, you can't apply the same behavioral rules. You simply can't. Well, uh, that, I think that would lead down a whole nother road of discussion because I think if in, in the heat of the moment, you're going to have business owners that really won't care about making a distinction at that point. So No, I, I, I agree. I, I agree. And they shouldn't make the distinction. If it comes to the point where their business, their property is about to be threatened, you know, then they, they should respond. Uh, um, but what, what I'm saying is it's no good rushing out once the window's already been smashed because by then people are just clambering it. They've got to prevent that window from being smashed. They've got mm. to prevent that petrol bomb from being thrown by being there and presenting a hard target. You know, I'm right. here. I'm ready to defend my, my property and my business. Go elsewhere. That's what they've got to present. But again, it's a situational awareness thing of you can't stay on guard all the time. You've got to know when you need to be out the front of your property with your friends who are also willing to assist you in defending it. You make an interesting point there. And maybe that was just a maybe that's just the way that our conversations go, because this kind of rolls into one of the last points that I wanted to cover. And that's how you carry and present yourself. That has a lot to do with situational awareness. Staying off the phone. I talked about how these little distractions, right? Staying off the phone, being alert walking tall, you know, chest out, chin down, that kind of thing. And you kind of want to give off, well, in this case, if you're relating it to kind of what you just said, Marty, you want to put it in 
more of a context where it's a don't mess with me kind of thing. In other words, here I am, you know, the, the way that I'm presenting myself, you, you want people to get that feeling from you in that sense, right? So if they visually see that, then they're going to avoid that uh, and, and going down that road. But see, you can do that and you can still continue to remain friendly, right? You can still smile. You can still have idle chit chat, right? You can show general kindness to others. But at the same time, you want to keep up that presentation of yourself. You want to walk strong. You want to look at people in the eyes and you want them to know that you know. That's kind of what you're saying there, right? Because I think that's a that's a great point. Yeah. Don't forget, um, situational awareness is about observing your environment and you are also part of that environment. Everything that you do has you know, a ripple effect throughout that environment. So if you project a confident but polite and non-aggressive manner, then usually you're going to be okay. You, you can walk through the situation. If you present as scared and weak, then those predators that are out there will be attracted directly to you. So it's it's not all about, you know, being a, a hard ass and looking tough and mean and, you know, knocking things out of your way as you move, because then you become part of the problem. It's It's about acting in a measured, polite, firm manner to those that are around you and that may have inclination towards doing you harm or stealing from you. So yeah, it, it is very important. And it doesn't matter uh, about your size and strength and all the rest of it. It really is projecting that confidence. And, and the only way to be that confident is to be prepared like a good Boy Scout, make sure that you are observing your situation so you know where the threat is coming from. Once you've identified that the threat is real, do everything you can to get away from it. But walk, don't run. You know, when dogs see somebody run, they're inclined to chase. But you turn around and look them in the eye and they'll think twice about it. It's only a mad dog that'll attack you once you've turned around and exerted your authority on so, yeah, I don't, I don't know where else I can go with that, but I, I totally get what you're saying. I wanted to kind of round off here on uh, on the last point I thought was uh, was crucial about situational awareness, and that is believing in your almost your gut instinct, right? That, that kind of thing. And that kind of goes along with, you know, have you ever gone somewhere or you kind of been around someone that just kind of didn't make you feel right? That kind of stuff. I used, I used to have a dog that would bark at lunatic. So she she certainly sensed when something was wrong with someone. And uh-huh. or something, a situation. And uh-huh. and yes, you should go with your gut, but you, you've got to listen to your gut instinct. But at the same time, like I just said, walk away, don't run. If you run, you could easily be attacked from behind. If you walk away, you can still be checking your, your 12, 3, 6, 9 as you move. There are situations where, of course, you have to run. But in most situations... If it hasn't already gone down, if the attack hasn't already started, if you can walk away with confidence, you can avoid it. I'm going to chime in here if you don't mind. Oh, Oh, please. Please. (laughs) If you don't mind for one second. They're actually getting smarter. What's going on here in the United States, I don't know if it's occurring over in your guys' next to the woods, is what they have is called a distractor, where it's an immediate person that appears to be aggressive. And what they're actually doing is they're the distraction. What the other people are doing is preparing and gathering behind you, around you, near you. And that person is going to get you moving towards them so they can actually take advantage of you. And that is getting 
all over. You see this in the wolf packs. You're seeing it all over the country where just it's mob violence, but it's premeditated mob violence. So just you've got to decide rapidly whether running is your best option or running. <laughs> I mean, it does get uh-huh. to that point yeah. where okay. um, you're having to look for a defensible position. You don't want to get into an open area. You need to get indoors. You need to get in where there's a massive amount of people. And if you're thinking in the middle of the street is a great place, it's not because people will scatter. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And yeah, you're right to jump in at this point because we hadn't really covered it. When you are faced by a group of people and you know they're a group, because in the situation you've just described, GP, you wouldn't necessarily know that they were a group. If they're any yes. good at what they're doing, they they're would good. already yeah, they would already be elsewhere. So when you see people moving within your zone of control, with it, you know, with it within reaching distance of you, that's the time to start moving away. And when this distractor does his piece, you've got to make a, a, a choice whether to take him out or wait for the biggest and most dangerous threat to come towards you once you've identified it as a when we practice this in martial arts terms, and to be honest, I've trained with up to six assailants at once. And there are certain things you can do, but that's all a bit boy's own book of adventure mm. kind of stuff. But you can defend yourself quite adequately against two assailants using very, very simple techniques. But, but most of every- those techniques are aggressor techniques. You, you're striking first. See, in the United States, if you strike first, no matter what, you're at fault, even if 20 people jump you. Well, I have to disagree. You literally have to destroy. You literally have to let them strike first. Yeah. In the States. I know. Did I or did I not just say a little while ago about with the firearm situation that law enforcement comes down heavily on the side of the person that wins the fight, uh, comes down Mm -hmm. on them, the person who wins the fight rather than the person who starts it. Now, Mm -hmm. the techniques that I'm talking about are control techniques Mm -hmm. where you accept the attack of the first one, Mm -hmm. lock their body up, wrist locks, arm locks, chokes, whatever. You haven't hit them. You haven't, uh, you know, struck them, but you've got control of them. You then put that individual between you and the other guy. Um, Yes. This is but that's still considered an act of aggression here in uh, because the first person to make contact, like they can swing at you like seven times and you avoid the blow seven times here. And I know this is in California because actually somebody I knew was sued this way. Yeah. Um, and they lost. This person kept swinging at him. He kept avoiding all the blows. And then on his on the, about the eighth swing, he grabbed the person's arm, grabbed the wrist and bent him around. It did strain the person's arm. Person sued him and he lost. Because he was the, he was considered making first contact. I'm sorry that we're not on the uh, uncensored podcast because I've got a <laughs> phrase that totally sums that totally sums that up. But I'm sorry, that is and that's the problem. problem we have. That, that's well, the problem. That's, it is that, that is a problem here as well. I've fallen foul of it in the past, uh, and and it really you know annoys the hell out of me that people who kick off fights, people who start fights. Mm-hmm. People who attack you wind up being the victim. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what's wrong with both our legal systems. It shouldn't yeah. happen. You know, it, it simply shouldn't happen. But um, all we can do is let people know what's uh, what, what the problem is, and they have to make their own call as to whether they act 
Yeah, there was that. They always ask, did, could, did you have the opportunity to walk away? Did you have the opportunity to walk away? Even if you say no, they say you had the opportunity to walk away. Yeah. See, they're teaching you to be passive, to not stand up for your rights, to not stand up for anything. That's hmm. how you weaken and, a populace. And, and when you listen back to this, and I know you've been listening in the background throughout, oh, yes. you will have heard me say, walk away. Look for the yes. option to walk away yes. before it kicks off. That's what situational awareness really allows you to do because not everybody has had, how old am I now? I'm quite old. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at 48 years of martial arts training and experience. I started training when I was six. I oh, know I've just given away my age. I was going to say you started not when every- you were when you started when you were 12? born. Is that is that <laughs> born? Is that- no, pre-birth. Remember, actually, those kicks that were going on yeah, in, the, yeah, yeah. in the uterus. Yeah, I was mawashi gering and yoko gary kakomiing my poor mother uh, from the inside. But no, I've um, I've trained over forty years in several different martial arts. I've got that option to use a varying degree, a range of levels of violence the least of which just wind up with the guy being controlled and held on the floor. But not everyone's got that. So option one for everybody should be walk away. Option two, run away. It's only when you get to option, but you know, about option five that you should have to start fighting or you wouldn't want to be there. Okay. So final thoughts. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Don't the cut climate. police funding. What? Yeah, don't cut police funding, please. By all means. No, I think I think we've pretty much covered it. And again, we this is the second time we've covered this, but we probably need to do it again in a few months as well, just to remind everyone yeah. because situational is very important. It is it will keep you safe if you use it. That's that's my final thought. GP, you want to weigh in on a final thought here since you came in right at the end? I already had my final thought when I started with it. <laughs> oh, okay. So just yes. just de- don't defund the police. Okay, all right. I got you. Don't defund the so, police. No, yeah. This, um, when GP broke in and spoke to us, it was about these distractors. Oh, yes. Yes, yes exactly. So, so that's something that we... Because yeah. they're going to try and get your attention as much as possible. And if you start to look away... And they start to really get aggressive on getting your attention. There's more than one. Yeah. Yeah. Good words. Well, for my final thought, I think everybody that this listening, you know, may, maybe people have been in this situation. Maybe they haven't been or may, maybe they've been in situations that are similar. Kind of some of the stuff we described today and, you know, one form or another. I don't know. But I wanted to revisit this for a few reasons. One, because we said we would. And two, because we all believe this is important, right? I mean, this is this is an important yeah. time. And three, because now more than ever, I think it's critical to talk about this, given what we're seeing. Riots in the streets, complacency by our so-called representatives, the breakdown of law and order. I think it's incumbent upon every single person to understand what you're seeing and to take what steps you feel are necessary to protect yourself and your family. No one else is going to do that for you. The reps in the U.S., as GP said, they're calling for and they're carrying out in his city, in his city, the mayor of Los Angeles just announced three days ago, that he's going to cut $250 million from the LAPD. GP broke that down. That's 2,500 police officers that are going to lose their jobs. Okay. This is the kind of people we're dealing with over there. Did you hear what I just said? Let that sink in. Then ask yourself, this is the question, right? This is the question I want to know an answer to. Ask yourself why you're not seeing any pushback from the so-called, and I'm doing the air quotes, opposition. Okay. Why aren't you seeing that? My opinion. They're complacent. They're cowards, they're frauds, they're jokes, they're sellouts to you, they're sellouts to me, 
They're sellouts to our principles and our rule of law. They have a disdain for any kind of justice. They want the mob rule. They want anarchy carried out by these so-called anarcho-communist movements like Antifa. Right now, here's the key. It's on us to restore order in all this, to protect ourselves from the hordes that are trying to end our system of justice and law and order by defunding the police departments. They know that that's the only thing standing in between law and order, justice, and total anarchy. They know that. When you get rid of a police department every time in history, the society always goes to hell. Every time. And you end up with a tyranny that's got a bigger police department than you ever could have imagined. And it will be based on what ideology? All the social justice stuff you're hearing? Is that what you want? So... We're bringing this topic to everybody today because we see what's on the horizon, and we hope that you do too. We're running out of time. You've got to learn these things, if you haven't already, and then teach others as best you can. Help them to understand just as you have. Listen to your instincts and be situationally aware. That's all I had tonight, guys. Marty GP, thank you for your time. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence. And together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.